Good morning, Mill City. So great to be together. Uh, for anybody who's maybe brand new with us today, my name's Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, also want to say a big welcome to everybody joining us on live stream. We're so grateful you're connected with us. We look forward to hopefully seeing you in person. Yeah, let's welcome everybody on the live stream. Before we jump into the talk today, I got a couple of things that I want to make sure that we cover. Uh, first of all, as mentioned a bit earlier, we are in 21 days of prayer and fasting. There's one week left. And uh, throughout 21 days, every weekday, we have a prayer gathering. Uh, the first week was in the morning. Uh, this last week was noon hour. And this next week is 5 to 6 p.m. And so uh, hopefully, maybe if you haven't been able to make the first couple because of schedule, this next one will work for you. Be here in the UCA. And uh, so uh, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so tomorrow specifically at our prayer gathering, we'll be praying into uh, the issue and the topic of racial justice. And so we'd love for you to participate with us all week long, 5 to 6. And then on Saturday is the finale, and that's from 10 to 11. And whether you've made it to one or none or all, uh, we'd love to see you at the finale uh, here in this room on Saturday. It's a wonderful time together as a way to cap off this 21 days, and actually not as an ending, but in many ways a launching point into the rest of the year. Uh, you might also notice these cards. We've left these cards from the weekday prayer gatherings up at the front here. And these are the prayer requests that we're praying over and are getting prayed over multiple, multiple times. And so at the end of the gathering, if you'd like, you're more than welcome to come up and pray over them. Uh, put a date on them. We put a date on each card as a way of indicating uh, how many times they've gotten prayed over. If you'd like to add a request, there's request cards on each end. And then one other thing, and that is uh, that as I announced last week, the uh, Generosity Sunday total that, uh, from the, our house in December was over $127,000 uh, given yeah, as into our city and into our region. And I uh, mentioned some of the things that that went towards, and I want to highlight one more today, and that is uh, that we, as we have for many years now, given a bonus check to uh, the staff at Lincoln Middle School. So every staff member from the principal down to the janitor uh, receives a, a bonus check. And this year it was for $200. And, and so um, I just wanted to highlight, we also catered a lunch for them that day. I also want to highlight uh, a couple of the responses and, and notes we received from uh, some of the teachers and staff at Lincoln. What a blessing it was to find a handwritten card with a very generous gift in my mailbox. Your church community has been so gracious to us at Lincoln. We work here because we love our students and are passionate about supporting our community. But your recognition and gifts mean so much. We appreciate you and your church. Thank you for making the season even more special and filling my cup full of gratitude. Thank you so much for yet another holiday gift this year. I know many of our staff have been struggling with finances, especially newer staff who spend so much on housing and necessities with inflation as it is. For me, your gift helps me not pull from my savings when my paycheck doesn't cover a month's spending. I will do my best to pass on the kindness you have shared. Thank you. What a generous and thoughtful Christmas card. Thank you so much for everything you do for Lincoln Middle School. I am loving my first year teaching here and appreciate the supplies, the teacher lounge drops, the cards, and this. And then lastly, I'm a veteran teacher here at Lincoln and I'm very familiar with your generosity year after year. 
But this year was especially sweet to witness our new staff being so happy with the catered lunch. And then us veterans say, said to go check your mailbox. <laughs> then we watched as they freaked out, overjoyed by the surprise of a bonus check. It was so cute watching them plan their holiday spending with the extra $200. Way to go, Mill City. Let's give a clap. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your generosity is a way of making Northern Colorado look a little bit more like heaven. Everyone has a vision for their life, whether they could articulate it or not. A lot of people's vision for their life might sound like having a successful career, might sound like finding a spouse, being happily married, having a nice family, 2.5 kids. White picket fence, go to church. Solid retirement account. Depending on your age and stage of life, grandkids. The reward for not killing your own kids. <laughs> it's a vision heavily influenced by the American dream. The world has a vision for you. To be an unrestrained, greedy, anxious consumer. Addicted to dopamine hits through trivial pursuits. Satan has a vision for you. To be selfish, fixated on entitlement, success, sex, pleasure, and power. And Jesus has a vision for you. To be loving, kind, meek, self-controlled, humble, passionate, and life-giving. The great goal of your faith and my faith is not to fulfill the world's idea of being human. Is not to fulfill the American dream or perform religious duties to earn favor with God. Or fight culture wars fueled by warped theology or those seeking political power. The one consuming goal of your life and my life is to be formed into the image of Jesus. That is what should consume us. That is the vision that should be front and center for all of us, which means that we learn to become like him, loving what he loves, hating what he hates, feeling what he feels, seeing how he sees, wanting what he wants, and responding as he responded. And you might say, yes, 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 I want that vision. I want Jesus' vision for my life. That's exactly what I want. Well, as much as you might want that vision, desire alone is not enough. A Japanese proverb says, vision without action is a daydream, and action without vision is a nightmare. Jesus' vision for what it looks like to be fully human is found in the Sermon on the Mount. We studied the Sermon on the Mount for nine months last year, and moving into this year, we kind of come off the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which ends in a little bit of a haunting fashion. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, all that he's just shared through the Sermon on the Mount, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's what we're after. Hearing the teachings of Jesus and putting them into practice. Because the storms will come, because the winds will blow, because that phone call will come. And depending on what we're built on will determine how we weather the storm. 
So as I announced last week, our word for 2023 is practice. Because we want to live into and integrate teachings of Jesus into our lives. So that what we say is true about the way we live. So if you missed last week's uh, intro sermon, if you will, for this series. This series will be three weeks. Next week we have one more piece to the series. Don't miss it. It's going to be really important and critical for where we're going in the upcoming year. But please listen or watch or maybe even re-watch last week if you missed it as I laid a foundation for our house as we move into this year. Now practice, when we say practice, the practices of Jesus are the actions that facilitate Jesus' vision for you and for me. These are things like fasting and prayer. 21 days of prayer and fasting, not an end, a means to an end. Scripture reading, Sabbath, worship, generosity, community, confession, solitude, and silence. These are the things that Jesus did, and these are the things, therefore, that we do because he says, follow me, which means do what I've done. In Milan, Italy, there is, we find the largest, excuse me, the fifth largest Christian church in the world. Got a picture of what it looked like in 2000. It's got the most sculptures of any church in the world in it, over 3,000. Even believe that a nail from the cross of Jesus is actually in this church. It's in the center of Milan, Italy. It took over 600 years to complete. In 2000, they put the scaffolding up around it because it had, had come into a place of disrepair. The smog, it was black, it was built with white marble, uh, things were breaking, there was a need for restoration, and it wasn't as it was designed to be. It wasn't shining in the way that it could if it went through a restoration process. So scaffolding was built in order to access the building and do the work of restoration to bring it to its full glory. This is now what the, excuse me, the Milan Cathedral looks like after that restoration. Beautiful. It shines in all of its glory. Practices are like scaffolding for our lives. Our lives are in need of restoration. Our lives have elements that are broken and are not living into our full design that God gave for each one of us. There is need to wash off the smog, if you will, from our lives and from our world. There's a way in which we need to live into and shine in the glory, in all the glory that God made for us in order to glorify Him. Now, you can try to restore a building without scaffolding, but it is nearly impossible. And in the same way, To try to live into the vision of Jesus for our lives is nearly impossible without practices. They facilitate the restoration of our lives to live into the full glory that God has for each one of us to live into. Now, if you've been around church for a little while, you might might think spiritual disciplines. It's been a, a way that practices are described And I prefer practices of Jesus, for clarity's sake, and here's why. Spiritual, 
often conjures up an idea of unembodied, Oprah-esque, squishy engagement with the universe. For Paul, the body is the focal point of your relationship with God. You interact with God in your body. And we live out the way of Jesus with our body. So we don't want it to be some sort of mystical idea, but rather a feet on the ground worked into the way in which we act, live, think, and desire in our lives. And discipline can often have a negative connotation related to legalism, and so I just find it helpful to remove a barrier to entry and call it a practice. Now, if you were paying attention to that list just a moment ago, started with fasting and prayer, and if you're fasting for 21 days, or if you're if engaged in the screen fast, how many times have you picked up your phone and you're like, oh yeah, never mind. <laughs> like, there's an element of difficulty to it. If you're going without food, or you're going without uh, a particular type of food, or whatever the case might be, sugar, you're like, I want a cookie. You know, the, the desire is there. It's not easy. And so you might ask, like, why devote ourselves to activities that are hard, don't come naturally, and that take time that I don't have? I mean, isn't this for monks and nuns? Maybe pastors are supposed to do this, right? We do need to remember why we practice. Because with practices, or with anything in life for that matter, if we lose our why, we lose our way. And so we have to know why we practice. A failure to know why practice will result in neglect, apathy, or legalism. So why practice? The simple answer, our humanity requires it. We won't become the flourishing humans God wants us to be on accident. We won't develop our redemptive potential passively. We don't drift into apprenticeship to Jesus. And we don't live in a neutral world. We live in a heavily contested space. There is a war over your formation and mine. Discipleship isn't a Christian thing. It's a human thing. We are being formed by something or someone. Every day, you and I are becoming someone. Robert Mulholland Jr. wrote in his book, Invitation to a Journey, on this idea that this isn't neutral. He says, everyone is in a process of spiritual formation. We are being shaped into either the wholeness of the image of Christ or a horribly destructive caricature of that image. Destructive not only to ourselves, but also to others. For we inflict our brokenness on them. The direction of our spiritual growth infuses all we do with intimations of either life or death. It's not neutral. And the discipleship of the world in this cultural moment is no joke. We live in a progressively more secular culture. And secularism has shaped our world to believe God is distant and irrelevant. And to ask the question, why even go to church? Porn, so prevalent in our day, shapes our view of sexuality, be selfish, and to see other human beings as commodities for pleasure. Violence shapes our view of anger, revenge, and justice. Consumerism shapes you to believe your preferences must be met, and the goal of life is fulfillment and ease. 
This isn't to mention hyper-individualism or the impact of technology and especially social media. It's like David Foster Wallace said in his commencement speech at Kenyon University when he talked about an old fish running into a new fish. And the old fish says to the young fish, how's the water? And the young fish looks at him and he says, what's water? Like it is this, what I just described, the social media and the, and the consumerism, all that's the water we are swimming in. So the practices of Jesus are transformational, but they are also counterformational. They counterform us from the way that the world is forming. God has always been counterforming his people. If we look in the Old Testament and we see the children of Israel, they were in slavery for 400 years under the oppression of the Egyptians. God does a, some a miraculous things and sends them out of slavery in Egypt, and they find themselves in the desert. So here they are free, but God brings them to Mount Sinai and he starts giving to them the Ten Commandments and other instructions for how to live. Why does he need to do that? Because even though he has taken them out of Egypt, he now needs to take Egypt out of them. So you might have said, I trust Jesus and I put my life in his hands, but even though now you have been freed from death and the, and the penalty of sin, there still is a way that the, the formation of the world, which is not in alignment with the way of Jesus, needs to be worked out of us. So as we begin this journey this year, I think it's important that we have a working definition of both spiritual formation, or maybe a better way of saying it is spiritual transformation, as well as spiritual disciplines or these spiritual practices. So first, spiritual transformation, the process of being formed into the image of Christ in community for the sake of others. This is a definition I adapted from Robert Mulholland Jr., but I want to take just a moment and highlight uh, the beginning and the end, specifically starting with the beginning that says, the process. We would so much prefer for things to be instantaneous rather than a process. But if somebody wanted to learn piano, you might sit them down at the piano and you wouldn't say, okay, we're going to start with Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 5 in E-flat major. One of the most difficult piano pieces to play in the world. You're not going to start there. You're going to probably start with scales or chopsticks. And then Hit some bumps, say, don't quit, let's keep working. And before you know it, you're not doing chopsticks, you're doing a little, something a little more, and a little more, and a little more. Kenneth Leach, Anglican writer, wrote in his book, Experiencing God, about our desire for the instantaneous or the, or the quick. He says, in the years since the 1960s, we've seen the popular unfolding of an authentically spiritual quest. Yet linked with this search for authentic experiential knowledge of God and of inner space, there has been a narrowing of vision, a desire for instant ecstasy and instant salvation. It is the quest for the correct method, the right mantra, the shortcut, which brings insight, which has, been marking, which has marked so much of this recent spiritual undergrowth. It's not that the right methods aren't helpful. 
And it's not that high spiritual moments aren't important. It's just that it's more often a slow, daily, not exciting, sometimes mundane, long process. Like Eugene Peterson says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And I would suggest it's often a brutal war. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Now, I know some of the millennials in the room are thinking, doesn't everyone get a prize? (laughs) Sorry, millennials, I do love you. I just couldn't resist. Blue ribbons for everyone. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So he's he's comparing our training as followers of Jesus to the training of a runner or to, to a competitor. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, when he's talking to his apprentice Timothy, and he says, train yourself to be godly. This word train is actually a, a, a great and a, a, an accurate definition of, of discipline. That we sometimes think rigid, when in actuality, it could be train yourself. It could be learn the spiritual trainings, the spiritual learnings. We don't need to try hard, but we do need to train hard. So so that in and through discipline, through consistency, through rhythm, through doing it when we don't want to, we can experience freedom. See, discipline is the price of freedom. Through disciplined practice, a piano player who starts with chopsticks can eventually get to the place where they have the freedom to be- play Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 5 in E-flat major. I don't have that freedom. I don't have the freedom to do what Callie does on the, the piano or what Jill did on the guitar today. Uh, I, I don't have that freedom. Why? Because I haven't disciplined myself, trained myself in a way to be able to have that freedom. And what God is calling us to is discipline for, fr- for a freedom that we will experience in the life of following Jesus. And too often we see someone else and be like, man, I wish I was more like that. I wish I was as gentle as they are. I wish I was as patient as they are. Wow, they are so kind. And too often we see what others have but don't want to do what they've done to have what they have. So what I'm trying to say here, or what I'm trying to do here is in some ways set expectations for this year. You might find yourself like, yep, I'm all in. This is so good. And, and, and maybe got a little uh, new car smell feel on you. And that's great. And I hope it lasts all year long. But there's a good chance that just like when you read through the Bible for a year, you hit Leviticus. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world does how we care for an open wound when it's pussing out have anything to do with my spiritual formation? And you're slogging. May might be a slog for you this year. June might be a slog. 
October might be a slog. February might be a slog. So I just want to set expectations that it may not be easy. That there may be times when you don't want to. There may be times when it's difficult and challenging. But even more than that, what I really want us to all come around is the belief and understanding that it will cost us something. It will cost us time. This word and us living into practice and practicing the ways of Jesus will cost us money. It will cost us energy. It may cost us some sleep. It may cost us an activity that we normally would have said yes to that we're now going to say no to. But I also want to say this. It's worth it. To live the flourishing life that God has called you and me to live is worth it. It, it doesn't feel good sometimes. That Milan Cathedral doesn't look amazing with all that scaffolding around it. And you're like, I don't know about this. But it's worth it. Take the scaffolding down and you're like, oh, wow. Look what just happened as I stepped into that for the last year consistently. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, a British philosopher and writer, wrote in his book, What's Wrong with the World, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. And when we find something difficult and then don't try it, we usually go searching for something else that's usually just easier, which doesn't produce the same fruit. And finally, I want to come to the back end of that, and that is for the sake of others. We experience transformation, not just so we can go look in the mirror and look at our spiritual muscles. We actually are doing this for others. To break it down even more specifically, for our neighbors and the nations. Our first neighbors, our spouse, our kids, our roommates, the ones who live in the most immediate proximity to us, and those who live next door or in the cubicle next to us or are, are somehow, somewhere connected to us in another state or across the world. For others, for our neighbors and the nations. And if it is not for others, it merely is a spiritual form of self-actualization. Anybody ever have a, a grandma, or I, I did, I had a grandma who who put plastic over a couch. <laughs> and I always found that so odd. <laughs> and she was trying to protect the couch. My, ma, my, my grandma actually was from Minnesota, and she called it a Davenport. Uh, I don't know why, but nonetheless, she called it a Davenport. She always like, you just call it a couch. So Davenport sounded more sophisticated to her. So yes, we have plastic over the Davenport, because she didn't want it to get stained or worn out or whatever, which I can respect that. But, but then when it's Christmas, it's Thanksgiving, and everybody's over, the plastic is still on the couch, I thought, something's wrong here. The plastic should come off when the guests come over. In other words, we're protecting the couch on every day so that it's more ready for others when they come here. When we keep the plastic on the couch, it defeats the point of some of the hospitality. You don't feel very comfortable on that plastic couch. If you put plastic on your couch, stop. <laughs> or at least take it off when guests come over. 
to practice the practices, to try to become more like Jesus for ourselves is like plastic on the couch. That we would somehow think, all right, I just got to make it right. Don't bother my, my, my system. Don't bother my rhythm. Don't, don't bother. This is, I got to, I'm just, and you're inwardly focused rather than focused on the relationship between you and God, you and yourself, which has then an outflow flow for others. Last week, I had a tree up here on the stage and how we need to put ourselves in the right conditions, practices, and teaching being two of them. And as a result of us being in all of the necessary conditions, we will produce fruit. That fruit isn't for you. That fruit and that shade is for others. So we are becoming more loving to better serve others. We are becoming more generous in order for us to give and see other people blessed with what we've been blessed with. And then finally, spiritual disciplines. I know that I said I like uh, practices of Jesus better, so you might be like, why are you giving us a definition for spiritual disciplines? Just today, I want to highlight this because it starts with practices, and so I thought that was a bit awkward. So, so but... But they are interchangeable, but for the most part, here going forward, I will use the phrase practices of Jesus. In this definition, spiritual disciplines are spiritual training. Practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create a time and space to access the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, be transformed from the inside out. So, reading your Bible, praying, fasting coming to church. It's a spiritual practice. Again, not an end in and of itself, but actually to create space to encounter Jesus. Coming to church is a spiritual practice. We put ourselves in the way of an encounter with Jesus. God can encounter us anywhere, but there's some places where we have a better chance of encountering Jesus. Now, an encounter may or may not feel like goosebumps or tears or something dramatic. It may just feel like a, a refreshing. It may just feel like... But the reality is, is where two or three gather together, we will encounter Jesus. So if you're like, I need an encounter with Jesus, come to church. You are guaranteed an encounter with Jesus. What if you walked in thinking, I'm getting up today. I'm going, I'm going to church today. I'm going to encounter Jesus. Is he with you every day? Yes. But it, Scripture indicates that somehow he's with us in a unique way when we gather together. So why do we come to 21 days? Never know what you're going to encounter when Jesus is going to kind of knock you over. Why do you, not, you ever read your Bible on a regular basis and you're like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible every day. It's a good thing to do, chapter at a time, a couple of verses, whatever. And he might read and it just sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And you're just dun, 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 dun. Next day, and then you read it, and you somehow you're like, and you're just almost expecting, but you've put yourself in the place, and bam! The jacks in the box kind of pops out, and you're like, whoa! There's Jesus! He's right there, and he sees me, and he knows me, and and Wow, the way that I've been thinking about that situation, he's in it, and he sees it, and he's, he's, a, he's working, he's working when I don't see it, and bam. But if you didn't just keep coming, you might not experience that. First, this is a few years ago, I started 
developing the practice of silence and stillness. I sat and every day, every day, just sitting in the presence of God, just imagining myself with Him. And I, and after three months, every day, didn't miss one day, I had a revelation of God's delight for me. How He delights in me before I've done anything, whether I fail or I don't, whether I'm successful or not, He delights in me. That's my boy. And you know what? It has shifted significant areas of my life to know that I am living out of a place of delight, not out of duty. And the same can be true for you. Whatever the revelation, whatever the, the, the encounter with Jesus, whatever the meet you in that spot kind of is for you, we just have to keep putting ourselves in his way. Like the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, I want to end with this story. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Tax collectors were not loved in the Jewish community because they were Jewish people who, had, who were working for the Roman government to collect taxes. So they were seen as those who were selling their soul to the, to the empire, as well as then they would oftentimes take a little off the top for themselves. And so that's why he was so wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, though. This is Zacchaeus. But because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Here's Zacchaeus. He's like, who's this Jesus guy? I wonder what he's about. I wonder if he'd heard stories and thought, I wonder if he'd have something to say to me. I wonder if he'd have something to, to do with me. Maybe he just wanted to see him, but then he couldn't see him. So he put in some extra effort and he climbs a tree to be able to see him. I got to get in this road. He's going to walk down this road and there's a bunch of people and I can't see over them. So I'm going to do some extra effort to make sure I'm in the way. And he's right there and he's there and he's just thinking that he's going to see him. And I just want to see who this fella is. But then it says in verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I, have, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Meaning no matter how much you hate him, no matter what he's done wrong, He's a, he's a, here's your brother. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You find yourself maybe like Zacchaeus, like, oh, what's this Jesus thing? You find yourself like taking any energy to climb a tree because you can't quite see him. I want us to think of practices as the way that we place ourselves in the path of God's grace. In the same way that Zacchaeus placed his way in Jesus' path and experienced grace and transformation. Can we just regularly place ourselves in the, in the path of grace? So I don't know how you found yourself here today at Mill City. Maybe you just said, I'm tired of somebody asking me, so I'm going to come so you stop bugging me. But maybe today you just found yourself in the path of grace. Maybe you've 
not any been anywhere near the road that Jesus is walking on. And you're like, I need to, I need to come back. If that's you, the invitation from Jesus is the same as it was to Zacchaeus. Hey, can you come down from there? Can you come over from there? I want to eat with you. Now, Zacchaeus could have said, no, 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 can't do that. House is too clean. Plastic on the couch. He says, oh, I welcome you gladly. Jesus is saying, I want to come to your house today. I want to eat with you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk about life. I want, let's, can, we, can we just be together? And I believe that there's some people in this room right now who feel that call and you hear his voice. And your response is, will it be like Zacchaeus? I welcome you gladly. Yes, please come. Please come. I would love to eat with you. I'd love to sit with you. Love to walk with you. Love to follow you. Because just maybe, just maybe, you'll experience transformation. Can be in an instant, but it oftentimes is an instant over a long period of process. If that's you and you hear the come on down. Can I eat with you? If that's you, and you're like, I want to respond to that invitation, cross the line of faith, will you just simply but sincerely under your breath say, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the only thing you need to say to God, but it's an amazing first thing to say to God as a beginning of a journey and a beginning of a relationship where He is at your table. And for all of us, the question is, which vision for your life are you giving your life to? Is it the American dream vision? Is it Satan's vision, the world's vision, or is it Jesus' vision? If we're going to do this, it will not only take time and all that, but it's also going to be best when we do it together. And so we will, this will be integrated into Sundays, into city groups, but we realize those are only a couple of spots throughout the week and we're by ourselves and we're at work or we're out on a run or whatever and we might think, okay, what was it that Aaron talked about this last week that was the weekly practice? I totally forgot. So we want to help just a little bit here and uh, giving you an option to be able to uh, opt into a text message thing. So we've got something here. It'll come up on the screen and you can take a picture of this now. You can bring your phone out right now and text PRACTICE, the word PRACTICE, to 970-299-9997. 970-299-9997. We'll leave it up here for just a moment while I continue talking. You can send it in right now. And each week we'll send a reminder. Send a reminder of what the practice is as a way of just an encouragement. Sometimes, I know, you get to Tuesday and you're like, wait, what was that? And you get busy and all the other things. So helpful to have a helpful reminder throughout the week. Opt into the text. Text practice 970 You can do it at any time. Our monthly practice, which is our weekly practice, is to read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But the reason I'm calling it at this moment a monthly practice is because I want us to read the Sermon on the Mount once, at least once a month throughout this entire year. 
as a reminder of what the teachings of Jesus are that we are looking to practice and integrate into our lives. So you can read it all in one sitting, or you can read it over the course of a week or two, whatever you'd like to do. Let's integrate it into our lives. And you might find, like, oh, I'm pretty good at that, and I am not good at that. As a way to remind ourselves of the need for the power of the Spirit to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. As we close here, if you would, just open your hands, and I'd like to take a moment and pray for all of us. Father, we need you. Each and every one of us, we need you. We need your presence. We need your power. We need transformation in our lives. We need to, we want to become who you've called us to become. We want to live the flourishing life that you've called us to. And so I pray for every, any person in this room who maybe is like, I want that, but I don't have a huge amount of desire or I struggle with commitment and discipline. I'll do this well for the next few weeks and then I probably will drop off. God, whatever the consistent habit might be, God, we want these practices to turn into habits, that they become rhythms of our lives, that when we don't practice them, we miss them. We don't miss them, we miss you and the power that we have access to as a result. So help us to be like Zacchaeus, doing whatever it takes to get into the flow of grace. Yes, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everybody said,